there, I'm Bar Ruven, I'm the co-founder of the CAT669 Alumni Association and the Executive Vice President of Development for the American Friends of Unit 669, aka AFU669. In addition to my unit work, I'm an entrepreneur, I sold my first startup called Mishlochov a few years ago, and I'm now the co-founder and CEO of Disher. And I'm Dr. Jonathan Pfeffer. I'm an innovation and mentoring expert. I help U.S. and Israeli startups and multinationals design and implement their innovation strategy. I'm a mentor and judge at Harvard's Innovation Lab and a mentoring supervisor at the CAT 669 Alumni Association, among others. Lastly, I also teach innovation management and strategy at Reichman University. Our guest today served as a combat medic in the unit. He trains thousands of young men before their military service, preparing them to serve in the IDF and elite units. He's been on both sides of the 669 mission, both on the rescue team for many years and getting evacuated himself after getting hit by a high power line directly during a routine training exercise with one of these IDF preparation groups. Yoav, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. So uh, before we dive into this crazy story that I know well, I don't know about Yoni, let's talk uh, for a few minutes about the unit. When did you serve? In what role? Do you still serve in reserve? If yes, in what role? I've joined the unit in 97. I've done uh, the course, as Bar did this most of it. Towards the end, I've changed the position and I started serving more uh, combat evacuating. Medic. Uh, medic, yes. And the, the teams are divided in two sections. I was more in the medical side of the things. And towards the end of my service, I started uh, developing uh, medical equipment. Luckily for me, the same equipment that I developed during my service in the unit was... Uh, Helped you later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Any unique experience, special operation that you took part in during your service that you can share with our listeners? That really jumps in mind is uh, it was a Saturday morning. We got the call. We... It was a weird call. You don't know where you're going to land. And then we... It's always weird. It's always weird, right? <laughs> and then you, you get a plane crash, parachuters, and you don't know, really know what you're going to. And then we found this field of bodies. And, uh, and a civilian uh, plane was crushed on the really? side. We had... Uh, out of 10 people, we evacuated... Uh, nine i think wow. one was completely gone and we couldn't find it, it was pieces that that wow. apparently was the pilot and and i remember one specific guy who was really fighting he was telling us don't treat me don't treat me treat my friends i'm okay mm. i'm okay but he had a hemorrhage in his uh, stomach the mm. free of the was uh, torn and he was an athlete he was an olympic athlete yeah. he yeah. was supposed to compete in the next olympi olympiada and judo and he, we lost him in the end. He, he wow. was alive when we got him to the hospital, but the hospital did the triage wrong, so mm. they didn't get and find the, the bleeding inside his uh, vena cava. Yeah. So. Wow. And you know, uh, you, have, you mentioned earlier that uh, in your team you used to use uh, jokes or humor to deal with the stress. Is that something that then kind of uh, followed you on into civilian life and business life maybe, or there are other aspects like that of the service that followed you and stayed with you onwards, not just as memories, but kind of as principles or, or strategies of coping with anything? 
I'm sure it does, and I'm and I'm sure I'm missing a lot of places in my life where it where it appears. But when stress is high, you tend to turn a smile on and then go into funny mode, and that helps relieve the pressure. So that's a system that stuck with me. But your question is really everything that you would ask me about uh, my service in the unit will still appear in some so- sort of form of another. In mm. my day today that was today. the next question so uh, oh okay yeah. so that's, <laughs> <laughs> good 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 so okay. b- because it, this is a molding time it's like uh, casting a broken bone and you get molded mm-hmm. in according to what you were taught there and uh, mm-hmm. you develop habits one of them is uh, turning things into jokes and uh, when it's getting harder you laugh when it's getting harder Take you think someone in perspective else. as well yeah Yeah, put things in perspective looking for others which is to me that maybe the the one thing that stuck the most uh, from the unit is in the stress you call and I rescue you so yeah. this is a mode this is a way of uh, of living uh, just mm-hmm. br- bring me something bring yeah. me problems I yeah. want to solve yeah. something sometimes I tell Dana no, she, I... She, no, she, just an anecdote she, she has a problem or something that I need to solve and I solve it and I say okay give me the next one <laughs> you know whatever <laughs> bring it on um, yeah, Yoni yeah. sorry I stopped you yeah no good um, you know you mentioned um, getting prepared you know um, learning how to being molded in a certain way to learn how to deal with stress and stressful situation And this brings me kind of in my mind to the work you do with uh, youth preparing for the army. How does one prepare people for what might be a very stressful, um, meaningful yet stressful uh, period in their life? Well, that's actually the secret. So I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share it here, but um, <laughs> the thing Give is... Give us hints and pieces. <laughs> the thing is you, you don't focus on the... Um, Uh, on the military service or the or the drafting procedure you try to focus on uh, values that will last for a lifetime and once mm. you start focusing of how do I get this person to deal well with life with stresses of life with the uh, and you develop habits that help them just handle things better uh, as a byproduct they succeed better in the military service So we don't try and focus on the drafting procedure or on the military service. We try to focus on things that will last a lifetime. And a lot of it is based on the same principles that we were taught during the training in the unit. And the principle works. Uh, when you work in such high intensity, if it doesn't work, it drops. You, you won't last and you won't maintain a habit that, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So... Because we were trained in a high intensity, then the good things lasted and stuck with us, and the other things uh, were dropped. So we try to follow the same principles. It's not just the mm-hmm. unit principle, it's life principles. How do you deal with stress? Mm-hmm. You smile. You, you normally deal with stress better. You focus on others, not on yourself. Normally, it will help you deal with mm-hmm. stress better. And... other stuff uh, time management and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know your story very well and yeah, I, lo- you can I know do that it, you, yeah I know that you can talk about it two hours uh, two hours and I can also but I want to divide it to three your story and then I'll let you talk um, what happened what was the involvement of the unit or the, the, the operation the 
and the rescue mission and then the healing process and what was the um, part of the again the unit maybe the unit members uh, something around it okay uh, it's a good uh, <laughs> d- divisioning of the yeah. of the story so what happened was uh, we were training on an artificial sand dune uh, uh, Israel Water Company dug a new water source and they threw the sand that they dug on the side. It ended up being a huge sand dune and a lot of people in that time started playing on that sand dune. We went to do the training there. The slopes were good and it was a good place to train. So we were training and towards the end of the workout, as I was going down and the pupils thought the, the training was over, I took off my sunglasses. Uh, it was probably the worst place to take off my sunglasses because my hand reached the distance of about half a meter away from the high voltage power line. And that was enough for the electricity to jump this uh, this distance. Uh, it was about, I don't know, a feet and a half, something like that. And the electricity jumped and it got me to burn from the inside out. It threw me uh, off the sand dune. I rolled this 12 meters down uh, and that extinguished the fire coming out of my my skin and my melted clothes and by the time I got down I rolled down the fire was gone but also my clothes and my skin the pupils that I was with there they basically found a charcoal naked body uh, stuck in the sand and they turned me on my back and they found a lot of stuff coming out of my nose, eyes, ears, mouth. My jaw was clamped, and they o- had to forcefully open it, and then started CPRing me. After a few rounds, they told me I came back to life, and then I was going in and out. I was uh, awake and then in in pain, com- completely driven by pain, and then dozing off again. And that was for about 35 minutes till the, the paramedics arrived. Mm-hmm. The most, uh, I don't know, the luckiest uh, bit in the story is when two of my pupils ran to call for help and they got to an Air Force base that was about 800 meters away from where we were training. And they, their screaming and shaking off the, f- the fence got one of the commanders to come out and he just got to this base a week before his uh, position before that uh, was still in the air force he was in charge of calling ho- out uh, the helicopters for operations mm-hmm. so he he calls to the pit where they call off the the planes where they call the planes and he called a rescue team and the paramedics that was that arrived 35 minutes later didn't even know that I was uh, there was a helicopter on his way. And by the time the helicopter came, they already had two failed uh, intubations attempt. Uh, mm-hmm. My throat was swollen from the uh, heat, and mm-hmm. and they couldn't intubate. And then the helicopter arrives, and as we know, when we arrive to the scene, it's yeah. uh, calmness is formed. You know, it's you have two good doctors and a team of highly talented uh, young people that know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the commander is a good friend of Barr. And, and in your case, and by the way, he's now a medical doctor, and one of the teammates was trained in your groups, right? Yeah, Before guy. the military. So it's a, it's a closure. It's a crazy closure. Yeah. He did something really smart. 
guy was on the team, guy was the only one that identified us. Mm. He saw the t-shirts and he saw my father and he knew it was me. And he kept quiet. And that's one of, probably one of the most mm. uh, intelligent things to do because if you tell a, a people that... Yeah, it's someone that you know, someone served in the unit. Yeah, it, it hurts you and, and then you don't function yeah. as a robot and you yeah. need to function as a... You need to function automatically. Exactly. Yeah. You, yeah. you put the autopilot on and you clean your emotions mm. and you focus on uh, just doing the things that you need to do. That's the best way to treat someone, I think, at least mm-hmm. in situations yeah. like this yeah. and extreme trauma. Do you have any... It sounds like such a dramatic uh, time, so I'm not sure if you have any recollection of it, but do you have any recollection of how were you feeling, not maybe physically, but even emotionally in that period of time, in those 30-something minutes or more until you're evacuated? A great question, but <laughs> unfortunately the answer is no. Um, I guess it got uh, something to do with uh, the intensity of the pain and probably with the, mm-hmm. yeah. with the sedation that I got later on. The last memory mm-hmm. of me is like taking off the sunglasses, <laughs> seeing the birds, or yeah. thinking about birds on power line, and wow. then 12 days later waking up into a, a new situation. So, so take us now to this situation. You woke up after 12 days. I wake up. I don't really understand where, I'm, where I am. Um, I've been fighting to breathe for the... It's been like a long dream that... Uh, pieces of the stream are still with me. I remember trying to understand where I am and why can't I breathe. Apparently, mm. my lungs were filled with le- liquids, and the sensation of having an intubation inside your mm-hmm. throat doesn't allow you to really feel your breathing. If one of us will just inhale deeply mm. now, we will feel the, the air flowing in our throat. When you have a, a yeah. tube in, you don't feel it. In addition to that, My lungs were filled with liquids, so I felt suffocated, and I couldn't understand why people were trying to suffocate me. Hmm. And that was maybe the reoccurring, one of the reoccurring dreams that I had. And then I wake up, I open my eyes, and then this guy I don't know started asking me questions. Uh, it's a good way to, to wake up, but not if the guy asking you a question is, uh, how should I call him, ego. Because that's his name. He was the nurse, right? Yeah, he was the nurse. Yeah. And now one of my best friends today, yeah, he yeah. lives next to me. And I mean, after the, the accident, we kept in touch. And he moved to live uh, near my house. And uh, we're in really good contact. On the way here, we just talked. So uh, maybe that's something, you know. I'll tell you one anecdote. I remember yeah. waking up. And it was a lot of I remember waking up because most of the two the first two weeks of uh, after the twelve days coma, yeah, you wake up, you doze off, and you yeah. don't even know like if Bar would come and visit, I would say, "Hi, I'm sorry, yeah. maybe you've been here <laughs> I, I won't remember that you were here and then and then I wake up, I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> if I doze off, I don't remember you've been here. You know that I visited for a hundred times. Like, I, uh, I'm sure you did in 12 days <laughs> so I remember waking up and then I see this uh, female doctor trying to uh, to get an IV line in and I see she's doing it not completely right <laughs> and then I go okay now now do a far and then I do a shemesh I don't know if how do you say it in English you do like a sunshine thing you search the vein mm. and I go like instructing her like now we're back in the course and yeah Okay, now, now you're in, now separate the, the Venflon. 
and we actually met a few years later and she goes you know i still use this technique of the shemesh <laughs> thing nice okay so so you woke up after 12 days and then what what was the healing process how much time it took a year a month um the total was one year it was divided in parts the first part was in the burn unit that's the most mm-hmm. painful part and the most uncertain part you you were just to, the, to hear the number 70% right 70% second and third degree right. burns uh, most of it was third uh, initially they they assumed that it would have to amputate both of my legs both of my feet actually and transplant 60% of my body with n- new skin and uh, when I woke up I couldn't move both of my legs and I couldn't move my right arm I could only move my left arm I was in total two and a half months in the burn unit and then I was three and a half months in the rehabilitation center there you learn how to walk and you learn how to shower wow. and everything by that time I got I was able to stand already my function started regaining slowly or rapidly depends how you yeah. measure it and then I was six more months on uh, like I came every day to the hospital to do the drills physiotherapy physiotherapy yes. hydrotherapy and then I ga- was sleeping in my house like la sotiomiot mm. uh, so that was a total one year of a uh, Of a process is it uh, shorter than usual or average or no, good or bad shorter. way shorter right way shorter and it was uh, you, didn't comp- didn't even expect that if I'm live. not wrong you told me once that because that your body had high percentage of muscle right it helped to the healing process yeah I had enough protein in my system yeah. the body could take uh, chains of uh, protein as muscles. Mm-hmm. And break them down and build it the skin my uh, I don't know oh. for the doctors here the, the albumin almost never went under 3.4 when it did I started getting uh, infections and yeah. the healing process was slowed but I I went I was about 76 kilos uh, before before like on the day yeah. of the accident and the lowest I got was about 50 kilos Wow So I lost 20 26 kilos of uh, muscles and so today you are stronger than what you were before the accident or no not in, yet in some aspects <laughs> uh, I am strong mentally probably yes could be I, I don't know I don't know if I would last this procedure again <laughs> and but uh, power wise yes uh, aerobic wise no um, really? about 60 percent 40 percent of my body doesn't sweat. So during summertime, I can do exercise the, the long runs that I used to, so I do more power exercises. Mm-hmm. so we try to train almost every day, but it's a different training every day. So yeah. hey, but I gained eleven more years since then, so wow. I give myself some slack. Uh, how do you you know physically, we understand that the healing process is your body does what it does, and the doctors do what they do, and the nurses. But mentally, how do you go through this year? How do you cope with a year of, of, of healing and, and first of all, seeing all the disability and then seeing the abilities, you know, the recovering the ability coming back slowly or maybe fast, I don't know. Yeah, it's a res- retrospect now. Um, and I could say it's a lot of baby steps. For me, they felt like giant leaps. Uh, but uh, at that time, it was... 
If I look at it back, then I see it's baby steps. First, you just try to wiggle your toes or you try to increase the range of motion in your shoulder. And every day you try to be a little bit better than the day before. And if I managed to do it, I felt like it's a good day. And if I didn't, and if the, uh, I got into a range of motion that was less than before, then I couldn't mm-hmm. let it go. Like normally I do the exercises in the morning. You, they come to the bed and they, they change the bandages. And then after they leave, I started tearing off my, my skin mm-hmm. and trying to get my range of motion back. Knowing that if I don't do it now, I will pay a dear price for it later. Mm-hmm. And, and it had to be every day tearing off the skin. Like wow. underneath my right armpit, the skin was melted together. Wow. And the range of motion in the beginning, I couldn't even detach my, uh, my arm from my body. Wow. Uh, in addition to, to the mm-hmm. nerves, there was a skin problem. And we tore, it, we tore the skin three times a day. Wow. And but I have uh, almost a full range of motion today, so I'm happy. I'm just thinking of the like of the I don't know what's the right word, but the feeling of fear or terror or I don't know of of having of realizing that every day you now for however long you will need to tear your skin in order to recover. you were just looking past it and for you know focusing on the goal and then just not ignoring it or were you everything the the answer really is everything <laughs> when you have intensity of life like this uh, everything is there there's terror there's joy and everything is in the extreme mm-hmm. you get to do something mm-hmm. and you're happy you're ecstatic you, you feel relieved and and then there's terror I remember the first day you leaving the hospital and sleeping in the house and I was in terror just by the thought of how do I get off off the bed I slept on a bed mm. for a few months that's high and if I had to go to the toilets then you drop your legs and you go with a walker and you go to mm. the toilet and that's after they took off the catheter and and the diaper and I and I get home and the bed is low and I'm crying and In terror asking my father how do I mm-hmm. get to the toilet who will lift me if I need to and you feel helpless you know you're mm-hmm. you're you're so dependent on on others and that's something that didn't set well with me mm-hmm. with my mentality before mm-hmm. and with every one of us who especially people mm-hmm. that came from units like this being helpless mm-hmm. you're normally the guy that's helping yeah. how can you Mm. you ask someone to cl- to clean your ass sorry and and you're you're helpless that's that uh, that's maybe that's the strongest emotion that was left mid me but terror was there mm. joy was there friendship was there rest was mm. short rests but ev- each rest was full tell us in few words before uh, yoni asks his uh, favorite question to the end What do you do today? Mm-hmm. You're married, you're a father, you're a business owner, you have a lot of groups, a lot of people going uh, uh, under your um, responsibility every year. You're a lecturer, you do many things. True, yes. <laughs> <laughs> What you say? <laughs> yes, to all the above. No, but, 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 you know, the big vision, like, um, in general. Okay, so, uh, actually, I'm, I am building the new vision. When I was sitting in the hospital, 
the last night, I think it was, before I left the rehabilitation center, I sat with one of the nurses and we wrote eight things I want to do before I kick the bucket, the bucket <laughs> list. And the just a few months ago, I finished the last checklist. Oh, really? And that was... Okay, so, so what from out of these eight you can share with us? The one most exciting right now is... Uh, yeah. Is having a TED talk uh, done? All right, uh, that was uh, published a few. We, we will share it ago. with the episode, so uh, uh, for the listeners, don't worry. Having a kid was one of them, and and that's something that fills your life. Uh, yeah. So going back to the issue of life lessons, I guess, if somehow you were to magically transport back your back in time. Back all those years to precisely the moment, the day you left the IDF, you finished your service. What would you tell your younger self? What would you tell young Yoav, 20-something-year-old Yoav? And he knows what, he, what I knew then or he yeah. knows what I know today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's the point. You know what you know today. He knows nothing. Uh. I wouldn't tell him anything. He wouldn't <laughs> listen anyway. So. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> that's, that's no, he, he, he has to live. Before. He has to live in order that it'll be me. If he didn't do the things that, that uh, he had he to do, be. I, I wouldn't be. He needs to live in order to, that I will live. And I like my life today. So, Okay. That's a very optimistic and reassuring uh, um, you know, approach or um, moral of the story. Yeah. yeah. After going through all that, you're saying it's all worth it. Definitely. It's all, uh, definitely. The, the times that we don't say th- don't say it, that we cannot say this uh, thing that it was worth it. It's times where we didn't went all the way. Once you're doing something in complete excellence, you're doing it the best you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the and end, you're complete you'll smile. with what. Yeah. Exactly. Yoav, thank you uh, very much. And again, I know that you're a very busy man and you still um, represent the organization many times with us uh, uh, in different communities and help us uh, to raise awareness and support. So thank you for that. Sure. Um, your stories, uh, I, I know it's, uh, that uh, it's something that you, you see in uh, Netflix or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think that more people uh, should uh, hear it and I'm trying to do it. So uh, thank you for everything, and I wish you good luck with everything you I'm do. I'm here for everything. And yeah. I, I owe this unit my life twice, like <laughs> uh, Jonathan said in the beginning. First, by developing these habits that helped me become who I was, and second, bringing me into life again. Finish the episode, I just want to thank uh, the Arela House uh, Radio Studio in Tel Aviv for hosting us, and thank you, Jonathan. Our podcasts will be uploaded to Spotify, Apple Music, and we will advertise it with AFU669 marketing channels. Thank you, Yoav and Bar. If you want to get our newsletter, the podcast episode, or to get involved, please join our mailing list or write us through our website at www.afu669.org. And by the way, our annual gala will take place in New York on November 10th very shortly. Tickets are already available on our website and are limited, so hurry up. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and looking forward to our next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.